Yo, this is Pastor Tito here with another episode of our weekly revolutionary podcast as I am here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. Now today... We are going to wrap up our mini-series on the book of Revelation, the the end, all right, with the mini-series that we're doing on the seven letters to these seven churches. Now, this church gives us the final picture of what happens if you don't repent, okay? Now, remember, Jesus is talking to saved Christians, okay? And when we, when Jesus calls us to repent, he's not, he's, some of them he's calling to repent because they've never believed in Christ. They, they haven't, they had an outward appearance of holiness, an outward appearance of godliness, yet they were not saved. Yet we have to be careful because even those who are believers, thus we can be deceived as well. And we can lose not our salvation, but we can lose our eternal reward in Christ. And so today we're going to see this church is the final result. In fact, the last two churches are the kind of two end result, you know, the end resulting examples. Okay. If, if you repent, if you put first love first, like the church of Ephesus, and you persevere in your faith, like the Smyrna church, church number two, and you repent of your sins, you will become like the church we talked about last week, the Philadelphia church, a church that is on fire, a church that God is using to make a difference in the world for the kingdom of God. But if you don't put first love first, you don't prioritize, okay, seek, uh, seeking God and seeking him and the love of God over all things, you will not have the discernment or the strength or the ability, or you, would ca- you wouldn't even care about the fact that you're compromising in sin and then later tolerating sin, later dying in your sins, and then you're going to find yourself like this church, completely dead in your sins. No connection, lost connection to Christ. And again, this is why I call it the saddest of all the seven letters. But even with that, there is still hope and there is still this sense of joy despite all of the negatives that we see. And so let's listen so to see if you can find that sense of joy and that hope that we have, even despite our horrible condition. So let's check it out. If you haven't been following us, we are, have been doing a study of the book of Revelation. And today is going to mark uh, an important point because we are at the halfway mark of this study Uh, And so after today, we are going to look at the sequence of events that in the book of Revelation kind of show, and it's, it's the really difficult stuff, the symbolic things that lead up to the end of time when Jesus comes and consummates all things, okay? So, but, so this is the, the halfway point. From here on out, we're going to be reading and kind of covering chunks of the Bible, or chunks of this book because I ain't got the time to be doing the way we're doing it. But also that today marks something else. Today marks the end of the seven letters to the seven churches that we've been doing. So there has been, Jesus wrote in Revelation 1, he tells John when he meets him, he says, write the things that are, that have been. And that means everything that happened in Revelation 1, his encounter with Jesus, he writes it down. Then Jesus tells him in Revelation 1, write the things that are. Write the things that have happened, chapter 1, write the things that are. And that's what we've been doing. Chapters 2 and 3 have been the things that are, speaking of present tense. And it's been these seven letters to the seven churches. And these seven letters, we see God's heart towards the church. But we also see the really an example of the, what the, a church as a whole and individual Christians can be. All right? And so this even up till today. 
So those seven letters were written to seven historical churches back almost 2,000 years ago, but they still are for us today because people, you know, people change, but let's be honest, right? People don't change, right? So that's kind of the reality of it. That's what we're looking at. And which is interesting, now that we see the seventh one, you're going to get the complete picture of these last seven, okay? And really what these seven letters are is Jesus's evaluation of this church, have you ever had a job evaluation? Anybody online, you, uh, everybody here, you ever had somebody evaluate your job, like a boss, somebody like that, right? You know, some of you, you know, maybe, you know, husbands, you know, your wives evaluate you all the time, right? The way, you know, you're not doing the dishes right, you're not doing this, I, I get that, but hey, I'm, I need help, okay? I, seriously, I, I, have, I have thumbs, but the way I fold clothes, apparently it, it looks like I do not have thumbs. I, I can't fold clothes to save my life, I don't know why, and, and I'm not doing, I'm not faking it just so I can get out of it, okay, also, okay? I'm not faking it so I can get out of it, I, I just... I don't do it according to the standard, I guess. I don't know. But anyways, the, the thing is, is that a job evaluation is hard to sit through, right? Does anyone look forward to a job evaluation? No one wants to sit there and be criticized, right? Look, look, but hey, great, great, great. But hey, look, here's your list of, and then you're like, oh, you're just dying inside, right? For every little, oh, oh my God, right? And so you die inside with that. Well, guys, this, these seven letters are Jesus's pretty much evaluation to the church and these Christians. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus gave you an option right now, would you want Jesus to give you an evaluation of your faith and how well you're following him right now, yes or no? Great. And Jesus is like, no, nah, man, I got some issues with y'all. And then there was some of them like, no, 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 I don't want to hear Jesus tell me anything. No, I, I, I would, I'd rather prefer not to know, right? I, it's like not going to the doctor. Look, I'd just rather not know I'm sick than, you know, whatever. I'll just figure that out. And that's, and, he, and you, some of you that are underplaying yourselves, you might be surprised to see some of the things that Jesus would say. Because there was churches here in these seven that some would have considered underperforming, and yet, wow, God, God had a lot to say. Well, here's a beautiful part, guys. You don't have to have Jesus do that because we have these seven letters as our evaluation. They weren't just given to those seven churches so they can evaluate themselves. They were given also to the church as a whole. And as we look at these seven letters, we can evaluate our position. Where do we stand? So God can say, you know, give yourself, give yourself a grade. And so we're going to look at the last letter, which is the most, probably one of the most interesting ones. Ready? Before we read, let me just give you a little background. Laodicea is the city. Now, this, I love this about God. If, you, if you've been following, you know that every time God goes to address a city, he introduces himself in a way that those people would understand right, and, and kind of connect with, but then he would also use language that that city, which was, you know, they, they would understand what Jesus is talking about, and that's so awesome about our God. God will try to use the things that we understand, and he will meet us on our turf. God meets us on our turf so that you can understand him, but then at the same time, then he, he does not allow us to follow him on our terms. He will meet us on his turf, on our turf. He'll meet us on our turf, but then we are to follow his terms, and that is how we walk with God. So Laodicea was one of those. Now, Laodicea was known for two things. Laodicea, Laodicea, Laodicea I can't even say it right, was known to be a self-sufficient city. This self-sufficient meaning for, uh, hey, yo, they got money, okay? They had money. Laodicea actually was known as a commercial center, and they were known for three big industries. They had a banking industry a textile or a really uh, a fashion industry, a clothing industry, and they had, the other one was a medical industry. So they had a medical innovation, all right? So imagine one city was the, the banking center of that region. So think Manhattan, 
right? NASDAQ, right? Wall Street, things like that. And so that, they, they had money. And this city was an affluent city to live there. You had to have some stacks, okay? And so imagine Manhattan. But then this, this church was also known, or this city was known for the trends. So their clothing industry, right? So it was always the latest and the greatest. You know, so what are, what are you wearing? Who are you wearing today, right? That, that was that, those people, okay? And so they were known for that. They were known for trends, fitting in. What's the latest and the greatest, being on top of stuff. So think um, Hollywood, okay? Think Hollywood. And then they were known for their medical innovations. In fact, one of the things that this city was known for was this eye balm and liquid that they would put on people's eyes. And it would actually address a lot of issues when it came to vision. And so people would go there for that kind of medicine and people, their eyesight would improve. So think, um, what's that one? Oh my gosh, uh, Silicon Valley, okay? That innovation breakthrough things. All in one city, all in one city. So here they are. And now when I said that they are self-sufficient, here's to the extent of their self-sufficiency, which is going to be key because I'm about to expose, Jesus is about to expose some of y'all right now, maybe, me too, because I'm not the only one. An earthquake hit in 60 AD, and Laodicea, Laodicea was completely destroyed. And so what happens when we have, look, we live in Florida, right? So if in Florida we have a hurricane, takes out a town, takes out a neighborhood, takes out a city, what happens? Right? The state issues a state of emergency, the state issues funds, right? And then the federal government will issue federal funds, federal aid, right? In order to rebuild something, right? And so that's what we do. That's what happens. That's what normally happens. Well, Laodicea was completely destroyed by this earthquake. And so when Rome says, we're going to send imperial state funds so that you can rebuild your city, Laodicea said, nah, Rome, you know what? It's okay. We got this. Rome, we don't need your money. We can take care of ourselves. And they rebuilt the city themselves and had cash to spare. That's self-sufficiency, right? That's awesome. Now, am I about to say, you know, self-sufficiency is bad? Am I trying to say, wait, so I can't save for a rainy day, so when something happens, is that bad? No. Are we saying, well, hey, we're going to be against medical innovations and science? No. You know, does it, is it okay being good with your money? No. Is it okay to make money? Nope. Okay, is it, is it wrong? I'm, wait, did I say it's okay? No, it's not okay. I'm sorry, is it wrong? I said that wrong. Okay, hey, some of y'all, y'all listening, y'all listening. Okay, is it bad? Thank you. Is it bad to wear, you know, the latest and the greatest? Is it bad to have, like, good clothing? No, none of that is. The self-sufficiency part, if we're not careful, that can be. Because there is a level of independence. Because in the same way that this city told Rome and Caesar, Caesar, um, we don't need your money, Caesar. Caesar, we got this. This church was colonized and corrupted by that same mentality. And you're going to see a church that went to God, and they were like, God, it's okay. We don't need you. We got it. You know, our, our, our offering is high. You know, we're good. We're, this, 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 this church is not suffering. Our, our, our offerings are high. Our building is great. Our programs are awesome. You know, it, w w Jesus, we got this. It's okay. It's, we don't need you, Jesus. I figured it out. We're good. Thank you, by the way. Thank you, God. That's what this church was. And what's ironic is that this self-sufficient city, meaning we don't need anything, we don't need anyone, actually had no source of water. Now, look, our ancient to today, water is basic to life. Like, without water, you can't function, especially a city. I mean, you need water for a city, especially one like that. So it was ironic that the self-sufficient city had no source of water. So you know what they had to do? Well, they had the money. So they went, built aqueducts, which, by the way, still exist today. 
And I mean, great feats of innovation. And the aqueducts, they went one, on one side, they would build this aqueduct that went all the way to the Heriopolis. And the Heriopolis was known for their hot springs, all right? So natural springs, hot water coming from the ground, right? He, heated up by, by the lava down there. So hot springs from the Heriopolis was imported into Laodicea. And then they had an aqueduct that went all the way to Colossae. If, if you're a Christian or you've read the Bible, have you ever heard of the book of Colossians? Same city. So Colossae. Colossae was known for cold water springs. We're here in Florida. Anybody been to Genie Springs, Rainbow River, right? All of those. That's some cold water, right? That's, that's cold water. So Colossae, they imported, Laodicea imported cold water from Colossae and imported hot water from the Heriopolis. Here's the issue. Laodicea was miles away from both of these water sources. By the time the hot water got to Laodicea and by the cold water got to Laodicea, it was all lukewarm. Not only was it lukewarm, it had accumulated so much minerals and sediments that when you would drink the water, it just had this taste to it. It was hard to drink. Listen to that. And now let's hear what Jesus had to say to this church. Ready? We're going to read the whole thing. Verse 14, we're reading from chapter 3. Jesus says to John, we're going to put it on the screen so you guys can see it. Write to the angel of the church of Laodicea, the pastor, the leader. Thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator, the OG of God's creation. I know your works. I see your singing. I see your buildings. I see your uh, religious efforts. I know your works. I see it. What does he say? That you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are, what is that word? Say it out loud. Write it online, all right? Lukewarm, and you not, neither hot nor cold. I am going to, ooh, say that word out loud, vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, listen to this, you say, he's talking to the church. You say to me, I'm rich, I've become wealthy. I need nothing, including God. I need nothing. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you can be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. I discipline, so be zealous and repent. See, look at that exclamation point there. It says, can't you see? I'm standing at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Ready? Let's see if y'all got ears. This letter, I want you guys to know Laodicea was worse than Sardis. If y'all were with me two weeks ago, Sardis got the harshest of all of the letters. I mean, Jesus didn't go. He went straight into, here's who I am. You got an issue. Because there was a sense of urgency. Because this church was dying spiritually. Because they were tolerating sin. And so there was a sense of urgency. And he goes right into the problem. Sardis had, he, there was a lot of, there was the harshest criticisms for, for that church. Yet at the end of it, at least Jesus was able to say, look, some of you, there's at least a few of you that are faithful. Just do what they're doing, guys. He had nothing good to say other than the fact that there was a few. This is the one we just read was the saddest of all of the seven letters. Did you notice that Jesus had not one good thing to say to this church? 
And did you notice? He couldn't even find one person to say something positive about. Everybody on this church was like, no, we don't need Jesus, we're good. Which is ironic because they were, they were, they were doing works. They were singing songs. They were worshiping. They were reading their Bibles. They were giving. They were doing things. Yet they were hollow. Something was not right. Not one good thing. And in fact, look how sad that Jesus was saying, I stand at the door and knock. If just one of you, if, if anyone opens the door to me, I'm good with just one of you. Look how sad that picture is. And so what do we have? Look at Jesus. How did Jesus introduce himself? I am the amen. All right. If you've ever said a prayer, if you ever, you guys know even what amen means? All right. It comes from this Greek word, which means truth. So when Jesus in the Bible, if you would ever say amen, 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 I say to you. Jesus is saying, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. I'm spitting truth right now. Facts is about to hit you in the face. That's what Jesus is saying when he says those things, okay? Amen, amen. And when we end our prayers, amen, why? It's because everything that we have just declared, we are saying, it's true. I believe it to be true. That's why amen is so important. Now, just because, look, just because you put an amen on your prayers doesn't make it true, okay? Doesn't mean you meant it. Be careful, all right? But that's what happened here. So he says, I am the amen, I am the truth, I am the faithful, true witness. Listen to that. Here Jesus is addressing an unfaithful church. And how does he introduce himself? I'm the faithful one here. I'm the faithful one in this relationship. It's me. Which again was beautiful because here is an unfaithful believer, unfaithful church. And Jesus says, yeah, your unfaithfulness hasn't canceled the fact that I'm still faithful. Isn't that awesome? Anybody grateful for that? That our unfaithfulness does not cancel out God's faithfulness? Like, he doesn't play that game with us like we do. But he says, I'm the true witness. Meaning, you, you, you ever seen an eyewitness, right? Like, an eyewitness is somebody who's there, who says, look, I, I know I was there. I can say, Jesus says, I'm going to be the true witness right now, and I'm about to speak truth. And here's the thing. This church, these Christians, they did not want to face the facts. And Jesus says, no, I got to bring it to you. Uh, tell me, yes or no, is this true? Sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? Doesn't the truth hurt sometimes? You don't want to hear it but you need to hear it sometimes, right? Jesus was about to bring a truth that was gonna hurt because I guarantee you these people would have, they would have thought they would, their review would have been different. And the other thing, the last one, don't miss this. Jesus says, I am the originator of creation. It doesn't mean he is the original creation. He's not the first one. Jesus was never created. Jesus is God. When he says, I am the originator, meaning I am the creator, I am the source of all creation. All things come from me. I am the source of life. He is telling a church that has no source. The city has no source of water, no source of life. And he's telling now a church that says, look, you got no source. I am the source. I am the source. That's how he introduces himself. And you saw what was his description, guys. What was that word I had y'all read out loud? They weren't hot nor cold. What were they online? What were they? Lukewarm. Why? Remember, why? how did the water, how did the hot spring water and the cold spring water get lukewarm by the time I hit the Laodicea? It was far away. By the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm. Distance caused it to lose its effectiveness. Here's the thing, guys. The more we walk away from God, the more we, I know we're even living in an age of social distancing, but do you know that it is possible to have spiritual distancing? That you can spiritual distance yourself from God. How do you do that? By walking not in the light but in darkness. By walking according to the world's wisdom and not God's wisdom. When you are defining things and when you want to live on your terms, not God's. When you are tolerating sin. When you are compromising in your sin. When you're like, no, God will forgive me anyways. When you walk, when you distance yourself from God 
And then you distance yourself from believers that encourage you, that will call you out when you're slipping. Which we need that, by the way. That's what a church is for. We will call you out when you're slipping. We, when you distance yourself from there, then the fire of God, that you don't feel it anymore. Tell me I'm not the only one. Tell me I'm not the only one who's, who's found themselves praying and it just doesn't feel the same. I'm like, uh. Tell me I'm not the only one who's sometimes gone to church and you just kind of lose your why. And you just, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. I, I sing songs, but it's not the same. I spend time with God, but I feel like, I don't know. Tell, am I the only one here? Thank you. Okay, because I'm about to say then y'all need another pastor. Because okay, y'all, y'all are awesome. Y'all must be that good. Y'all need somebody else. Okay. Anyways, here's the thing. When you distance yourself from God, you just don't feel it. And when he says you guys have become lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He is not saying to this church, y'all make me sick. I know some of y'all have said that, right? You guys make me so sick. I just want to... Uh, uh. I just look at you. Oh, when you sing your song. Oh, they're doing it again. Oh, stop. Make it, make it stop. Listen, Jesus is not disgusted with this church. That's not what he's saying. I'll vomit you. He's not disgusted. He can't use you because you're not, everything that you do is coming from an empty place. Jesus would say and prophesied in Isaiah, Jesus said himself, you guys worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You don't mean it. And so you can't do anything because there's no effectiveness. You're not tapping into the source of life, me. So whatever you do, it's just kind of there. And so I can't use you. Okay? I need to publicly apologize. Nothing embarrassing. But I, have to, I was going to ask my mother-in-law for permission, but now it's too late because she's standing over there. So I'm just going to say, um, can I get you permission? Because I'm going to talk about you now. Okay, here we go. All right. My mother-in-law is so fickle when it comes to her drinks. If she orders iced tea... That thing better come from the South Pole, ice cold. And if she orders, if she orders coffee, I mean, that thing better come out of a lava pit or something. I mean, it is one or the other. So when she goes, I've seen her plenty of times, we go on a restaurant, she'll make sure it's clear. I would like a glass of iced tea and another glass of only ice, right? Because I hate, I agree with you. I've done this too. I learned from her. Oh, I've ordered iced tea. And you can tell they just brewed that tea and they just put the ice in it seconds later. And you go to sip an iced tea that there's ice in, but it's still warm. Anybody done that? And you go to get iced tea and you sip and it's warm and like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Unacceptable. All right. I need another one. I need ice. I need more ice. And or when you get your coffee, that's another one. She goes, she'll order the coffee and then go home and reheat it in the microwave because it's not hot enough. No one knows how to make coffee. And so I love it. She, she's particular. She knows what we want. But this is perfect. And so the same thing, have you ever had a hot cup of coffee and you've been drinking your coffee and then you left it off for a little too long and then you go to take a sip and then it got warm? And it's like, mm, okay, no, I'm done. Anybody been there, right? We have that standard. We're, we're not acceptable. So why would God be any different? When he goes to sip on your life and like, mm, wait a minute, unacceptable. Unacceptable. No, no, no. And so the thing is, is now in the same way we'd be like, no, no, I can't drink this. Jesus is saying, I can't use you. I can't use you to make a difference because you're just going to, you're just lukewarm. You're just like, no, no. So Jesus says, I'd rather you be what? Hot or cold, which I love that. I've been hearing that verse since I was a kid. Man, I, I, this is how I hear preachers say it. I've heard this before. I was like, that can't be right. Flag on the play, flag on the play. They said, I would rather you be hot, like, man, living for me or cold, like just Jesus wants us to be one or the other, like completely on fire or just so cold that we're just going to 
live in, you know, the fire of hell for the rest of our life. Like, like, like that? That's what he wants? He wants us to be, look, you're either holy, perfect, or just be in competition to be the worst sinner in the world. Like, no. Like, that's not what he wants to say, be hot or cold. Because then what if I'm not hot? Then, oh, my gosh, God's not accepting, you know, accepted of me. I'm not doing good enough. What Jesus is saying is, I just want you to, I want you to feel something. Like, I want you, his heart is, if we're not hot, meaning if we are not in love with God and all that we do comes from a place of love, that we feel his love, we are grateful, gratitude is the attitude that we have. If we are not in that place, that we appreciate our God, that we feel his love, we feel his presence, that we feel joy when we follow him, we feel joy when we serve others and tell others. If we're not there, he would rather us feel the coldness of our isolation. He would rather us feel because at least if we, were, if we felt the cold isolation of our sin, we would turn to him. And say, God, forgive me of my sin. He either wants us to experience his presence or he wants us to feel the weight of our sin. Not to feel guilty, but so we can turn back to him. Here's the thing. This church was lukewarm to both. They were numb. Let me use a different word. Lukewarm, numb. They didn't feel it. God's presence, they were numb to God. And here's the dangerous part. They were numb to sin. They would sin and not feel it. They wouldn't feel conviction. There was no Holy Spirit there. They no, felt no conviction, nothing. They just kind of did it casually like if it was nothing. And God says, that's unacceptable. That's not enough. And so here's the thing. All right, guys, fellas, I need your help. The other two. There you go. Come over here. Bring it up. All right, I want to show you guys something. Here's a little. Follow me, cameraman. Sorry, here we go. All right, I need the boys. Help out. Give it up to my assistants today, please, everybody. All right, bring it up. All right, I want you to see this. Pergamum church was followed by the Thyatira church where the Pergamum had a majority faithful, a few unfaithful. Guess what happened? Guess what we see in Thyatira? We don't have a, a small minority compromising with sin. We see a majority that is tolerating sin, a fa- only with a faithful few. And Jesus tells Ephesian church, repent, put first love first so you can be faithful. But they didn't. And so this is what happens. If you don't put God first, you're going to begin to, comp- I don't care how good your doctrine is, you can know the Bible better than anyone else. At one point, you won't slip up and you're going to be able to compromise in one small area. And then if you don't repent to put first love first so you can get things right, a small compromise is going to lead to tolerating a lot of wickedness. And if you don't repent from tolerating that wickedness and find where you compromise so you can put first love first and be faithful, you're going to end up like the Sardis church where Sardis was about to. Jesus said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dying. You're, gonna, you're dead. Spiritually, their relationship with God was dying. It was on life support because the sin and what they were tolerating had now taken place. And it was on, this church was on the brink of losing everything, their, their connection with God, not their salvation. Please listen. They weren't losing their salvation. They were being robbed of the, of the joy and robbed of an intimate relationship with God. They were losing their spiritual reward, if anything else. And here's what happens. If, and when you're on life support there and you see, okay, I'm not right. I need to repent. I need to repent of the sin I'm tolerating. I need to stop compromising on sin. Put first love first. Be loved by God and be accepted by God so that I can be faithful. You end up like Laodicea. Laodicea was a flatline church. Where if Sardis was boop, 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 boop. Laodicea, boop. That's what happens. That's what Laodicea was. Laodicea, not one person. Spiritually dead. All of them were. And they were foolish. And what made them foolish? Remember guys, Laodicea, why was their stuff so, why was their water lukewarm? Because they were far away from the source. 
Listen, I, I love, uh, I think D.L. Moody has this great, for a great quote, and D.L. Moody says this. He says that this book, the, God, the Bible, God's word, will either keep you from sin or sin is going to keep you from this book. I love that. And because that's what happens. When we compromise with sin, it entices us. It invites us, and we walk further and further away from the source of life. And we begin to rely and live more on our understanding, our ability, and all of these things. And in the end, it's not good. That's what happened to that church. It was not enough. And so Jesus told this church, again, a dead church. On the outside, it would have looked like they had life. They were dead. And so what did Jesus tell them? He says, look, you guys are pitiful. You're poor. You're naked. Again, a church that was so rich, he says, you guys are poor. A church that was so outside, had everything going on the outside. You guys are naked. Like, it's not enough. Those of you, oh, you're so smart about your medical innovations, about improving eyesight, yet you don't realize how blind you are to your own condition, blind to the fact that you have been deceived by sin and you're playing these games and you're dead. So what did Jesus tell this church? You know what he should have told this church? What should this church deserve to hear? I'm moving on. This is what you get. You made your bed, sit laying it. But what did Jesus tell this church? Buy from me a kind of gold. Buy from me. I got resources that are unlike you. In essence, he's saying, look, all this church, all you care about is the material things of this world, being wealthy, healthy, and happy according to the world's standards. But he says, I got a form of health and wealth and happiness that's spiritual in nature, that is worth more than gold. The riches of knowing and being in a community of believers in Christ Jesus, Paul would say to the Ephesian church, oh, that you would know the hope that you have, that you would know the rich inheritance of the of the saints, that you would see that inside the, the, your brother and sister in the faith is so valuable to you and that you would realize that there is nothing more precious than the love and the grace and the kindness and the patience and the goodness and the mercy of God. That is the, that is the most valuable thing that we have. He's telling this church, trade in your fool's gold for real gold. And then he says, yeah, your vestures, your outer dress, all you guys do is care about what you look like on the outside, but the inside needs addressing. I can help you with what's on the inside. I can do that. So give me your garbage, because remember, he says to this poor church, buy from me. What are they going to buy with if their stuff is not enough? And this was the most affluent of them all. Give me your garbage. Give me your, your, all of that, give it up, and I will give you something of value. I will give you something that will cover you, that will cover your shame and nakedness of your sin. And then I will give you the Holy Spirit, that anointing that will get your eyes and, and that you will be able to see once again. That you can see the truth, that you can see me, that you can see the path that you're supposed to follow. That you can see me, I, and the Holy Spirit, guys, leads us into all truth. He is the lamp that guides us into our feet. And Jesus says, I will give you those things. And with all of his heart, he says, and this, I believe, was for all the whole church, not just the seven. This one, I'm sorry. He says, listen, I, I rebuke and I discipline those I love. All of these, a lot of those other churches, those foolish churches all had a rebuke. And I believe that word is from all of them. He says, listen, just because I'm calling you out doesn't mean doesn't mean I don't love you. In fact, I do it because I love you. I want you to kind of work your way back. All, all of these five churches, he tells them to repent, which means, guess what? Turn around. Come this way. Come back to me. Return to the source of life. I love that truth because here he is speaking to a spiritually dead church and says, yeah, even you, I want you guys back too. 
I want you back too. So that, and that speaks to us, that it doesn't matter where you find yourself. If you find yourself far from God, number one, understand two things, sorry. Number one, God didn't move, you did. Number two, God is chasing right after you. God is chasing right after you, calling you back, saying, no, 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 not that way, this way, this way, this way, this way. And he's telling us to put our trust back in him, not in anything else, because nothing else will work. Nothing else will matter. It won't do it. And so here Jesus is, what does he say? Look, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. How sad. He's not knocking on an unbeliever's heart. He's knocking on a Christian's heart. That is said, Jesus, I I, I don't need you anymore. I choose the world, not you. I choose a different king, not you. Yeah, that church, notice that Jesus isn't, you know what? Uh, Hold on, the church is mine, so I'm going to kick down the door and evict you. You out of here. No, he's not knocking. Oh, you ain't answering? Okay, I'm bringing some fire down on you guys. That's what you get, right? No, he's not doing that. He's just, guys, is anyone inside? Is anyone there? Open the door. Like he, because he wants to come in now, he can't force his way in. He can't do that. You have to be willing to accept and surrender to the love of God. But he's being persistent. In fact, he's being borderline annoying. I know what that's like. I used to go to my grandparents' house, and I had a way of ringing the doorbell. So they knew it was me without me saying anything. Here's how I'd ring the doorbell. It's annoying, isn't it? It's because my grandparents are slow. Okay, and so it's like I want them to hurry up and open the door. Okay, so and number one, I want them, and plus, I would always do it to hear my grandfather in the back. Enough with the door, open the door, someone hurry up. Like he was just so desperate for someone to open the door just so I would shut up and stop and just get him in here. Yeah, oh my gosh. Listen, that's Jesus. He's hoping some of us would be desperate to hear him and desperate to open it back up. And what did Jesus tell his church? He says, if any one, one person, which salvation is individual, but if one person just opens the door, I'm not going to sit you on the couch and now reprimand you. What did Jesus say he would do? We're going to sit at the table, yo. We're going to have a meal. We're going to break bread. We're going to talk. We're going to catch up. I'm not going to sit you on the couch and tell you everything you're doing. I just want to sit on the table. Let's just talk. And look how fast the table Turns in, the dining room turns into the throne room. And if we invite Jesus to sit at the table of our hearts, Jesus says, you can sit on my throne. You're going to be able to sit on my throne. To an unfaithful church, he says, to an unfaithful believer, he is saying, you're, you can go from you kicking me out of your house to me inviting you to sit on my throne. That kind of grace is insane. That kind of generosity is not real. How can it be? But it is. And that's what Jesus invites us to, regardless of what you've done or become. If you invite him back in, he will, if you sit with him, he wants a relationship. That's all he wanted. With those five churches, you know what he wanted? Was to the the connection remain. He didn't care as much about their works. Because how many of them, he said, look, yeah, I see your works, but I'm losing your connection. And that's the problem. Your works aren't as much the issue as the connection because the connection something isn't working. And so here's the thing, guys. And here's in and, and every church, Jesus says, I want you to conquer. If those who conquer, conquer what? Conquer distancing yourself from me. Conquer from being corrupted. Uh, where's everybody else? All right, can y'all set it up? I need my helpers back. I'm going to set you guys up on this side. He wants you to conquer. And when I invite and when I want you to imagine conquer, I want you to think of a cooler, okay? So here we go. Bring them all. I, I need the table. Let's bring, bring it up one more time for, uh, for the assistance with the, the most beautiful of them all. There you go. All right. Okay. Hang tight. 
Actually, can one of you help me with this? I don't want her to. Just to open the table, please. All right. So I, when I think of conquer, when I want you to think of conquering, how do we conquer? Well, I'm going to use a cooler to show you how you conquer. Ready? Because Jesus said, if those that conquer, every analogy, if you don't remember the little details that Jesus said at the end of every letter, he says, those who conquer, those who conquer, those who conquer, okay, you're going to get this, you're going to get this, you're going to get this. In the reality, guys, if you don't remember what Jesus said you're going to get, they all meant the same thing, a relationship with him. That's all it was. So I got two coolers. All right, cameraman, I'm making you work today. All right, appreciate it. Give it one more time for the cameraman upstairs, everybody, guys, give it the tech. So I got two coolers here. They look the same on the outside, don't they? Coolers are coolers. You put something inside, keeps it cold. But one, this one is very different than the other. This one's a regular one. This cooler, it's just a regular old cooler like some of you guys might have, right? No, just there. You're gonna put ice in this cooler, what's gonna happen eventually? This ice is gonna melt. And if I wanna keep my drinks cold, what do I gotta keep doing? I gotta keep adding more ice, right? Until when? Until I, as long as I want something cold, right? Like if I want cold things, I gotta keep adding it because and there's no amount of ice that I can add to say, okay, I'm done. I don't have to work anymore, right? That's good. This melts, why? Because it's not enough. Now this cooler is an, and where's the, there it is. This cooler is an electric cooler. Have you ever seen one of these? This is set on the cold setting. I put a bag of ice in here four days ago, uh, three, two days ago. Sorry, there we go. I put a bag of ice here two days ago. If I would have put a bag of ice two days ago in this, what would this be in the inside? Water. I put a bag of ice in here two days ago. Still ice. Okay. Why? Because it's cold on the inside. It's keeping it. This, because it's connected to a power source, it is operating in a way that is keeping the ice cold, functional. Right? This is the opposite. Here's what those foolish churches were doing on the other side. This is what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy's going to entice you to say, no, 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 put your ice over here. Put your ice in this one, man, not in there. Put your trust in your, you know, in any, whatever else, fill in the blank. Put your trust in the acceptance of others. Have fun. No, what God wants you to do, no, that's not fun. This is fun. Try this. And, and live by your wisdom, not by God's wisdom. Live according to something else, but put your trust in your relationship. Put your trust in your husband and your, and your, and your wife. Let them be the source of your happiness. Your job, let that be your source. But what happens? If I put ice in here, it's going to keep melting. So what do I got to keep doing? I got to keep adding more. I got to keep working. I got to keep putting this because it's not enough. And, and Jesus was here to tell all of them, those five unfaithful or foolish churches and any foolish person, which can be us, that listen, this world is not enough. It cannot keep us. It cannot preserve us. It is not enough. And there is never enough that you can do to stop the, the corruption, to stop it. Jesus, though, is enough because this is plugged in to a power source. There is power flowing in this cooler that is keeping it alive. And, the, and Jesus is a living God. I'm done with that. You can come here. Jesus is a living God. There is power in his name. And as long as we connect, as long as we remain connected, that power that we sang about this morning, it resides in us. And it's the love of God that preserves us. It's the love of God that keeps the truth. It's the love of God that gives us that the spirit of power, of strength, and a sound mind so we're not deceived by the lies of the enemy. So then we're not deceived by even things that sound Christian. Listen, you know what deception and discernment is all about? Spurgeon said discernment is not telling the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is telling the difference between right and almost right. 
Right and almost right. Almost right ain't right. And that's what, that's right. <laughs> that's what happens. But it, as long as we remain connected. See, listen, I unplugged that cooler right now. It'll still be cold. It'll still, it'll stay cold. But it's going to start melting. Just like the Ephesian church. And the longer I wait to plug it back in, the more it's going to melt. Until it gets to a point. I can't, even if I plug it in, it's, it's all liquid now. But only Jesus can reverse all of those things. And so I want to challenge you. We're going to sing one song to end today. And it's, it's a song that speaks of Jesus. Oh, I need that. It's a song as Jesus as our living hope. Living hope. And I want to lead us all, including myself, okay, all into repentance. The, the faithful churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, they were faithful because they understood their weakness. The faithful church did not mean that they were a perfect church. Philadelphia and Smyrna weren't perfect because they... Oh, they, Jesus didn't have a complaint because they did nothing wrong. No, that church knew. We're poor, yet in Christ we're rich. That church knew, without God I'm weak, but with him I'm strong. They knew, and so they would walk in holiness. They would walk in repentance. They would walk in love with each other. And we need to do the same thing. So I want to lead you right now. Some of you, some of you, your faith is great, but you know, sometimes your priorities are out of whack. You need to repent of that and put God first in your life. Don't be so busy that you can't have time with God. I know you, you're, you're fine now and maybe you're feeling it. And it's okay, but be careful. After too long, you're not going to feel it. Some of you are compromising with sin. Some of you guys probably are tolerating a lot of it. Some of you have done it so much that you don't even feel it anymore. You can sin and not even blink an eye. Don't even ask God for forgiveness anymore. It's to those people even more that I say, listen, let's lay it down all at the cross. Because Jesus wants you back. If you feel lukewarm this morning, if your faith is lukewarm, you got to do one thing. Just go to the fire. Go back to the fire. Draw near to the fire, which is God's love for you. His eyes of fire. Draw near to the fire if you're lukewarm. If you feel cold, draw near to the fire and feel the warmth of God's love for you. He is knocking on our doors. And if it's your main door, let him back in. But hey, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, he's going to be all up in your house. Hey, what's this closet over here? What's this pain from what somebody said to you when you were a kid? What about this door over here about this insecurity? Jesus is going to, he wants to be up in all of your rooms. So open every door to him so he can, so you can have true healing in every area of your life. That's what he wants. He's going to be keep knocking. Open every door. Open every door. Listen, and for those of you, if you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, here's what's even uh, good news right here. If Jesus could love a lukewarm church that should know, that knew better and should have done better and did it. If Jesus could love a lukewarm church, he, can, he loves you. He loves you. And he, that invitation is for you as well. So I'll repeat it once again, man. If Jesus can love lukewarm Christians like that, I don't care who you are. He loves you. Okay? He loves you. And he does not want you to experience what this Laodicean church had, which was this hollow, empty shell of an existence. Jesus is knocking on the heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart, hoping you to continue to open up to him. Not just open the main door, okay? Open up the, open up the front door. Open up the pantry. Open up the bedroom. Open up the closet. Open up every room in your house, every, every area, and let him bring true healing, okay? Because only he can do that. And the more we do that, the more we return back to him, no matter where you find yourself, because at the end of the seven churches now, 
Okay. I want you to evaluate yourself. And in fact, that's what the road, that's what the kind of revolutionary that Jesus is looking for. Because a revolutionary that Jesus is looking for is one that is constantly on guard and self-evaluating their spiritual condition. Discovering, am I putting first love first? Am I putting God first above all things? Am I willing to be persecuted and slandered for the sake of Christ and being a Christian? Am I compromising in sin? Am I tolerating any sin? Am I dying? I mean, am I, is there anything that is causing me? Am I dying in my sins, really? Am I on fire for the Lord or have I gone lukewarm? No matter where you are in these, this spectrum, know that Jesus loves you. And he's calling you to draw near to him, to continually grow in revolving your entire life around Christ. That is what he wants. He doesn't want your works. He just wants to walk with you. And trust me, when you walk with Christ, because revolutionaries, Christ godly, godly misfit revolutionaries walk with Christ. And you know what happens when you walk with Christ? Oh, you're going to do the work. Okay, you'll do the work if you walk with him. But it doesn't work the other way around. So keep walking with him. Keep pursuing him. Keep enjoying the love of God. Repenting of any anything that is still outside of the authority of Christ. And surrender all things to him. And he will make the biggest difference in your life and through your life. Focus on that this week. And I will join you uh, in a couple of weeks as we pick up where, as we're going to continue now from chapter 4. Because now it's going to get interesting. Because starting chapter 4 in the book of Revelation, we are going to talk about the wrath of God that the world will experience. And so I will see you back next week. But until then, enjoy the love of God.